I hope that you're living a blessed life and that you know it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, we're going to get back to God first because we are thankful for what God has done for us. And this is a way to say thanks. And uh, if you're a guest, don't worry about it. Um, so uh, we've been doing that. By the way, uh, I want to talk about this topic uh, because uh, next week we have a guest. And, uh, and I'm not going to speak next week, so I want to do it this week. And Charles Ryu um, is uh, the young man you saw in the video. But I want you to understand a couple things about him. One, he's not only escaped North Korea twice, um, he's not a public speaker, he's just a guy who did this, and then in the process became a Christian. And now he's involved in a thing that he'll tell you about that is helping people back where, uh, in North Korea where he came from. And uh, so Cody's going to interview him next week. You're going to hear an amazing story. And so make sure you're here. You might want to bring some friends and you'll hear what he's up to going forward. That is pretty exciting stuff. All right. So make sure you're here. So we started a series a couple of weeks ago. I kind of felt like the world was crazy and out of control and I was starting to get sucked into the craziness. And I just wanted to articulate for myself and for all of us what we do when the world starts getting crazy. And it starts shaking and everything's all crazy. So first thing is you fill your mind with God's word, you fill your mouth with God's praise, you fill your heart with God's love. And today, as a result of those things, you fill your attitude with gratitude. And you're saying, well, that could be on a poster. That's a self-help. This is not a self-help thing I'm talking about. This is a God thing. The kind of gratitude I'm talking about has to do with ultimately being grateful to God and God helping you be grateful to God. And it actually is life-changing. Here's the deal. Grateful people, people who are grateful, not just people who, you know, we go to Thanksgiving and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a life of gratitude and knowing why you live a life of gratitude. They are different people. People of gratitude are different. And we are different when we have gratitude. I want to talk to you about that today. And so I want to t- talk to you from uh, two historical accounts from Jesus' life and then a parable that Jesus told uh, in, at one point. And uh, it, Romans says this about gratitude. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Remember last week we talked about different kinds of hearts, about closed hearts, hardened hearts, evil hearts. Their hearts were darkened because of ingratitude. If we don't have gratitude in our heart, we see the world differently, and it's not better. We don't see it in a better way. We don't live a better life. So, uh, gratitude. There's some themes uh, that, that go along with gratitude I want to point out. The first one is found in Luke 17. And in Luke 17, we find that Jesus uh, comes into town, uh, and there are uh, 10 lepers. Now, you know leprosy. Uh, you don't know leprosy because we don't have it anymore in America. But leprosy throughout uh, much of history was just a, an awful, awful disease. I've been to leper colonies in Nepal, and even people who the disease is no longer progressing, they're still missing extremities and, and parts of their face and other things. And it's just an awful, awful disease. And because it was contagious in the ancient world and all throughout history, they would be ostracized. They would be excluded from community. They'd have to live outside the city. Uh, They would no longer be allowed to touch anyone, their families, anyone else. They they would not experience human touch unless it was from another leper, maybe. And they would often live uh, just by the edges of the city, eating out of the garbage, whatever it was. Terrible, terrible life. And they would have to yell out, um, that they were leper and they were unclean so that they wouldn't be exposed to, other people wouldn't be exposed to them. So Jesus comes in town, he sees these, te- these 10 lepers, and he says, go and show yourself to the priests. Now there's an interesting phrase in the passage there. If you want to read it, show yourself to the priests, plural, because they weren't all the same religion. And 
So as they turned to go, and there's significance even in this. He didn't just kind of zap them. They were good, and then they went. As they had the at least enough faith to go check out and see if something had happened, as they turned to go, they're healed. And one of them, only one of the ten, does something. And here's what it sounds like in uh, Luke 17, 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Those no good Samaritans again. Remember the woman at the well, right? Samaritan. Jesus often interacted with Samaritans to tweak the religious types and the Jews. If you don't remember who they are, they were they were kind of a. Uh, uh, they some of them had Jewish heritage, so some Jews had uh, not only been forbidden but chosen to do it anyway. Intermarry with some of the local people, in which now these local people kind of made up their own religion. They take a little Judaism, a little Roman mythology, a little this. They kind of made up their own thing, and they were despised by the Jews. They seriously hated the Samaritans. So interesting, the good Samaritan, the woman at the well is a Samaritan. This guy's a Samaritan. Jesus was making a point to the religious types. The Samaritan out of the ten, some were Jewish, some were Samaritan. That's why they had different priests. The Samaritan, the no good rotten Samaritan, is how the Jews would see him, is the one who was thankful. It's so interesting. Now the question that, that this points out to us, is why, why did the nine not say thank you, right? We don't know. The reason it says in here, I believe, is not because we can prove that Jesus did healing. We know that Jesus did healing. We saw Jesus healing all over the New Testament, all over the Gospels. But this particular one is not about healing. It is about gratitude. It is about gratitude. Only one out of the ten was grateful. Why is that? We don't know. We don't, we don't know. We could, we, could, we could guess. We could... Here's the deal. One of them was, maybe because he was a Samaritan. Maybe it was because this particular leper knew that he didn't deserve a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, healing him. Maybe that's why he was more aware. I don't know why the rest weren't. I know this, that you and I are oftentimes not aware of our need to have gratitude. We think that life is about moving forward. It's about getting things done. It's about going where we need to go. And we forget that gratitude is an essential part of all of our lives. We must be grateful. We must be because we become different people if we're not grateful. We'll see at the end of the talk today what kind of people we become, and it's not good. We need to choose gratitude. We need to choose. So gratitude is an interesting thing because it's both a spiritual gift and it's a spiritual discipline. I think we need God's help to be truly grateful, but I think we also need to choose to be grateful. And it's not just one or the other. And as we choose to be grateful, some things happen. We can begin to practice being grateful. We can begin to kind of move toward that. And a couple things happen. One is, I don't know what your threshold for gratitude is. Do you, do you feel grateful when somebody is walking out the door, when you're walking in, they hold the door until uh, you get through, you say thank you, but are you grateful? I don't know, are you? That's a pretty low threshold of feeling gratitude. Many of us, it would take something much more significant to make us feel gratitude, because not because we don't want it or we don't, it's because we don't notice. We're just not aware of what's going on around us. We don't pay attention. I'm in a hurry. I got to get that, I got to get that donut. I, I, don't, I don't have time to say thank you for holding the door. Come on. It's because we're unaware of the need and the importance of, of gratitude. Say thank you. So, and feeling, feeling gratitude. So what do we do to lower our gratitude threshold so that we feel gratitude a lot quicker? 
for a lot lesser things. Being aware of the need for gratitude. Developing an attitude of gratitude, a heart of gratitude, is an intentional thing. We also need to add, add, ask for God's help. So what does this look like? So every day, you know me, I, I do my prayers every, in the morning, and, and, I, and I write them out because I can't pay attention to anything very long. So, and I oftentimes use a little acrostic I've been using for years. I didn't make it up. Somebody else made it up. And it's just acts, adoration, um, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication, just asking for stuff. And, um, and so, you know, I adore who God is. It kind of sets my prayers on the right track, and then I confess the truth about me in light of who God is, which is sad <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but I walk away from that forgiven. And then I go to the T, which is thanksgiving. You want to be a more grateful person? Practice expressing, articulating what you're grateful for and to whom. And in my prayer time, I'm not just grateful. So we have this idea at Thanksgiving. Um, well, we're just going to be grateful people. And I always want to say, to whom? To whom are you grateful? So, to the universe? Really? To, oh, just in general, I'm just grateful. No, no, you have to be grateful to someone. Who are you grateful to? In prayer, we're reminded that ultimately the person we are grateful to is God. God gave you the breath in your lungs. God gave you life. It is ultimately God. He's the one who put this word. As, how does, how does Moise say it? The, the, the God who made the whole earth spin and float. Ultimately, it's that God that we are grateful to. And so in prayer, expressing our gratitude, God, I am grateful that you made me, that you made the beauty of the world that I get to enjoy, that, that you saved me because I didn't deserve it. And by the way, when we thank God for his goodness, be specific. I don't just say, God, hey, uh, thanks, for, you know, thanks for saving me and reconciling me to the Father. Thanks. It's great. No, no, I, I know I am thankful because I have meaning in life. I have purpose in life. I'm not the mess I would have been. I'm still a mess. Don't kid yourself. But I'm not the mess I would have been if he hadn't intervened in my life. I articulate those things. And I don't just say, hey, thanks for my family. I say, thank you for my wife. My wife is. And I just list stuff that I'm thankful for. She is beautiful. She is smart. She has integrity. She is. And I just name these things. And my kids. And I just, Lord, thank you for my daughter. She has so much. And my son, we're working on. And then you can tell them I said that next week. Um, so we articulate what we're thankful for. What happens? It begins to grow our spiritual muscle, the thanksgiving muscle, <laughs> the gratitude muscle, because you practice it. It's a spiritual discipline. You practice it. So the reason I'm talking about today is because uh, uh, Charles Rayu is speaking next week, and I wanted to get you started on some stuff, okay? So here's the first one. Every day when you pray, spend a significant amount of time in thanksgiving. By the way, if I'm feeling particularly selfish on a given day, I will stop after Thanksgiving because I want to go on and write pages and pages of stuff I need from God, right? And yet, that's not the point. And I will just put a line, Lord, you know, please help me. Done. Because I needed to focus more on the Thanksgiving than the neediness, right? Does that make sense to you at all? Right? Because then we thank God. Okay, now that I thank you, I can just pour my heart. And I just, and it's like, wait a minute, what happened to Thanksgiving? You're back feeling sorry for yourself again. Knock it off. Right? That's how God deals with me. He's probably kinder to you, but you're not as hard-headed as I am. That's one way. That's something I want to ask you to do. From now to Thanksgiving, we can get to Thanksgiving. It's not about the feast. It's not about the football. It's not about the family. That's, that's a series. Feast, football, and family. Okay. So, <laughs> by the way, we got a review recently on Yelp. Do you guys? Some, and they wrote in there that the pastor talks so fast that some of the sounds he's making aren't even words. So I told Cody, you got to slow down, man. 
Can't be having that. So, <laughs> so when, so when, <laughs> I didn't plan on telling that. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that one. But anyway, um, so, so when you get to Thanksgiving, I want you to be a person who's ready to give thanks because you've been practicing, okay? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to think right now, don't say it out loud, what do you usually do right before you go to sleep? So you may be watching a murder mystery, you might be watching the news, both great ways to go to sleep peacefully, right? <laughs> really? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. What if you did this? What if you stopped right before you go to sleep and you named the five events of the day that you are grateful for? You just took a, a minute as you're falling asleep. How much better would that be for your attitude, for who you're becoming, and for your sleep, frankly? Five things I'm grateful for. And they don't have to be huge things. You, know, you, know, you don't have to, you know, whatever. I, just breathing, being alive, somebody said hi to you. I don't know, whatever it is. How much better to be thinking about the goodness of God as you're going to sleep than the other stuff we tend to think about, problems we can't fix and they're not real or whatever, right? So I'm going to ask you to practice that as we go toward Thanksgiving so that you can, and it's, and it's, not, a, it's not a biblical holiday, Thanksgiving. It's a biblical concept, and it's not something we should do one day a year. We should be doing it every day because it changes who we are. Remember that because we're going to come back to that, okay? So the first one is um, nine didn't, they weren't even aware of the need to be grateful. One did. We, of all people, Christians, we ought to be people aware of the need for gratitude because we have more to be grateful for than anyone, right? And we know to whom we are grateful. Second one is this. It's found in Luke 7. And I'll just set the picture for you. Uh, Jesus is a visiting rabbi, and the leading uh, religious and society guy, high society guy, invites Jesus over for dinner, which is customary, and some things you need to know about uh, the, the, the customs of the day, okay? So when a visiting person would come, so in, in the social religious structure of the day, which were together, if the person was equal to you, or above you, you treat them a certain way. If they're below, so there's certain things you do. So even if you did it, like today, if you went into Portugal, I'm assuming they still do this years ago, if it was a more traditional thing, they would kiss you on both cheeks. It's not anything romantic. It's just how they greet you. It's like us shaking hands. So there would be a kiss. There would be um, the washing of feet. And so if you're a person of equal or higher status, higher status, the host himself might wash your feet. Because, you know, there's, they've been out, there's sandals, donkeys, stuff like that, okay? It's nasty. So there is the washing of the feet. And if it was a person of lower status, they'd at least have a servant there. And if you're really low status, they'd at least put water out so you can wash your own feet, okay? So there's the kiss, the, um, the washing of the feet, and then there's, uh, they, would, they would put olive oil in your hair. I, it's a mousse or something. I don't know what it was. I don't really understand this one, but it was cultural, okay? I, I don't really, I don't know what it's about. So let's call it olive oil mousse for your hair. Um, and so there's three things that would happen, all right? Now, when you came to dinner, it wouldn't be inside in just a few of you. It would probably be outside because this person's having you to show off their status, okay? And so the other townsfolks, the villagers, whatever, would come and actually gather around and watch and, and, and salivate over your food that they're not going to get. And they would watch and see the proceedings, okay? So this is the setting. So Jesus comes, and there's uh, no washing feet, no kissing, and no olive oil, and there is a woman standing around watching what happens and knows that Jesus deserves better because it's basically an insult. It'd be like, you know, you come to my house, me not shaking your hand, making eye contact or saying a word to you. It would just be rude, okay? So what Simon, the host did, was rude. It was just rude. 
And there's a woman, she happens to be a prostitute. We don't know how she got there. She might have been sold into it as a child. There's any number of ways it could have happened. We don't know. It may have been her choice. We don't know. But we know that that is how she survived. And she sees, and she has seen in Jesus something. We have no idea whether it was uh, a look uh, that he would look her in the eye without, without judgment. We don't know what it was, but something she perceived about Jesus that he was deserving of more than the insult he was receiving. And so she runs to Jesus, and she, um, she begins to kiss his feet. She knows that to kiss him um, as a normal greeting would be, would be inappropriate uh, because of who she was and who he was. He was a, he was a religious guy. And, but she wanted to express that if nobody else here receives you, I do. I, I know who you are, at least in part. And so she begins to kiss his feet. And she's kissing his feet. Uh, she starts crying. And she starts crying so much that the real tears coming out and they start falling on his feet. And now she's like, how am I going to wipe these tears off his feet? Remember, donkeys, dust, and all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, so she takes her hair down. Major faux pas in the ancient world. You only take your hair down with your husband at certain times. Never in public, right? This woman had taken her hair down many times. But for wrong men, wrong reason, wrong place. This time, right man, right reason, right place. Takes her hair down and, and starts wiping, by now what was probably mud, off his feet. Feet. And then she takes a little necklace. Now, there's different scholars believe different things about this, but there's a necklace in which she has a little vial of perfume, ointment, but perfume. And some suggest it's because it's the only way she could do her job, just take a whiff of that because her customers didn't smell good. Possible. Others suggest that that's where she kept her value. She could be run out of town at any time, and this valuable thing she could wear on her neck would always provide um, income if she needed to sell it. Okay, so I'm not sure which, is, which case is true. Either way, it was valuable to her. And so she pours it on his feet. So now we have, we, have, we have kissing, we have washing of feet, and we have anointing with oil. All the things that should have been done when he came, when he came in. And so now Jesus looks at it, and all the Simon and all the religious types are like, well, what kind of rabbi is he? We know who she is. If he doesn't know who she is, he's not much of a rabbi. And if he is a rabbi and knows who she is, he's still letting her do that. He's a very bad rabbi, Right? He's a very bad religious leader. And here's what Jesus says. And I love the picture. You've got the picture, right? Front yard, meal, woman laying on the ground. And and here is Jesus looks down at her, but he talks to Simon. He's looking at her, but he's talking to Simon. Get that picture in your brain, okay? And here's what he says. He says this. "Um, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. So he's looking at her. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. He's not ignoring who she is. He's not saying it's okay. But he says this, and this is hope for all of us. Her sins, which are many, (laughs) all of us can say that, are forgiven, for she loved much. And then he goes on, still looking at her. And he, you can just imagine this. And he looks at her and he goes, and those who are forgiven little, love little. And what he's saying is not that Simon doesn't need forgiveness, it's that Simon doesn't think he needs forgiveness. And he goes on and he says this, but he who for, is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. What an amazing, your sins are forgiven. By the way, you don't understand this, that the Jews knew that only God could forgive sins. Jesus was doing something pretty amazing. He was forgiving her sins. Now, here is the rational 
response to this, for those who are humble enough to receive it. If God, and this man somehow has some special connection with God, if God can forgive her sins, let me get in line. If he can forgive her sins, he can forgive my sins. But that's not the response. Their response is they're so convinced that they don't need forgiveness. They're so convinced that they are good guys, that they've got to figure it out. They're so convinced that here's what they get hung up on. Listen to this. It says this. Then those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. They, they were having a theological discussion. Oh, no, we got it all together. We got it worked out. We're good. Let's talk about theology and how this guy just messed up. When in reality... The right thing to do is get right behind that woman, kneel down, and say, forgive my sins too, please, because I need my sins forgiven. By the way, I love that last phrase. He not only told her his sins were forgiven, he said, now go in peace. I bet she had a really good night's sleep that night, unlike what she experienced before. I I just have this instinct that Simon didn't sleep so good. Because Jesus was poking a finger in his chest, trying to get him to realize, you don't have it all together. You see, to really, truly be grateful, we have to be humble. We have to acknowledge that we have need. The great thing about the woman is she was in touch with her neediness. The bad thing about Simon is he wasn't in touch with his neediness. I got it all together. I don't need anything. I don't need God or anything else. I keep the rules. I'm a good guy. I deserve better. Right? What was so powerful about her is she was in touch with her neediness. And because she was humble enough to admit it. You see, you're going to bow down at some point. Simon was going to bow down. It was just going to be too late when he did. We all bowed down. Do it now (laughs) so you can receive healing and hope and forgiveness. Bow down and admit, I need God. I need your help. I am humble enough to acknowledge that and accept that. Simon had a hardened heart. How did he get that way? thought he was a good guy. Maybe he took for granted his place in life. Who knows? Maybe he was born into a religious family, the top of society, and she was born and sold into slavery. Who knows how he got there? But somehow he took for granted that he was a blessed person. And then somehow he deserved it. What's what's the old phrase? He was born on third base and thought he got a triple. You ever hear that phrase? No, you never heard that phrase? Somehow he took for granted that he was a good guy and he deserved it all. Let me tell you something. It's hard to be grateful when I think I deserve what I've got. But when I stop long enough to realize that what I've got is a gift, whether it's my wife or my family or relationship with God, it is a gift and I dare not take it for granted. The problem is we live in a country that is so blessed we take it for granted. For example, if you gave me $100, by the way, I'm open to it. I'll be outside later. You feel free. <laughs> you gave me $100, I'd say thank you. I'd go to lunch. I'd think about you a couple of minutes while I'm paying the bill. That kind of be it. You find a person who's been living on the street for a long time and is truly in need and is truly hungry. You give them $100, who's more grateful? Them. That's exactly the point he was making here. If Simon had gotten used to the good life, he thought he deserved it. She didn't get used to the good life. She knew what a gift it was. You and I need to not take for granted what we've been given. We need to be grateful. A number of years ago, on a Saturday afternoon, they were finishing rehearsal. After rehearsal, we'd go back in the room in the back, and we'd just talk about who's doing what, and, and then we pray together. And, and uh, before we went to pray, something happened in my throat. I've told you this story one time before, I think. I, uh, something happened in my vocal cords. They just tightened up. It was like somebody had their hand right here and was squeezing. And I couldn't hardly get a sound out. It was the weirdest. I never had it before. And I didn't know what it was. And, uh, and I said to Corey Briggs, remember Corey was a worship leader at the time, I said to the group, kind of squeaked out, I don't think I can speak tonight, my voice is not working. And, um, and he prayed the most passionate prayer I've ever heard in my life. 
And that we came out and they started singing and I'm sitting in the front room and I'm thinking, I can't speak. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm praying. And let me tell you something that happened though. Between the front row and the back room, during the, that time, you know what set in? Fear. Fear. Now you would think that a guy who kind of makes his living talking would be grateful for vocal cords, wouldn't you? But just like the air we breathe, I never gave it a second thought. I could talk. I can always talk. I talk a lot. Everybody talks. It's no big deal. But between there and there, I began to think about what my life would be like if I couldn't talk ever again. Now, some of you would think it would be better, but then you'd have to listen to Cody, so you're wrong. <laughs> and honestly, I began to have this thought, what if I can never talk again? And then during the, the music, something actually, I felt it kind of pop, and it was good, and I've never had it again. And I think Corey's prayer and God healed me. I do believe that, but I learned something between there and there. Don't take anything for granted. Don't take anything for granted. Simon was taking for granted. He was good with God because he was a good guy. He was wrong. Jesus was trying to get him to see that and to humble himself and be grateful and accept the real gifts God wants to give. The third one I want to point out is the parable that we referenced last week. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually the parable of the unconditional loving father. But there's another figure in this story, and it's, it's the older son. If you remember, the younger son went out and, and uh, kind of partied his inheritance away, came back, and the father received him back and threw a party for him. And let me just read uh, Luke 15, starting verse 24. Um, now his older brother, who was in the field, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants to ask what this means. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... <laughs> When a kid does something bad, it's always the spouse's. Honey, your son just... <laughs> the son of yours came, uh, who has devoured the property and prostitutes. You killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are all, Father, said to the son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We know some things about the older brother. We always think of the prodigal son as being the one who is the sinner. And we most recognize and identify with him. But Jesus was talking to a bunch of older brothers who were equally sinful. He was talking to a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of religious types who believed that they were such good rule keepers. They're rule breakers and rule keepers. You know which one you fall into, by the way. And the rule keepers are just, can be just as sinful as the rule breakers because they believe they kept the rules. They deserve God treat them better. They have a sense of, here's the word, entitlement. Dad, I've kept the rules. I deserve. Here's the problem. They both wanted the same outcome. The, son wanted, the younger son wanted dad's money so he could live how he wanted. The older son wanted dad's money so he could live how he wanted. They were just going about it two different ways. Here's what we know. Without gratitude, there's no love. You see, the son had been obedient and done all that his dad said, but not because he loved his dad, because he loved what his dad had. He wanted something from his dad, his inheritance. Some of us act like we love God. We don't love God. We just want whatever it is we want from God. Now, I, it sounds harsh, but I'm going to hurry. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to let it lay there. You deal with it. He also, he had no love and he had no compassion. And one of my brothers is in the room today. And I need to tell you, growing up, if one of my brothers had taken off to a far land and parted his life away, I would have gone after him. We might or might not have had a physical altercation at the other end, but I would have done my best to drag them back home 
to where they were safe and where we could care for them because I loved them. The older brother in this parable never went after his younger brother. He was jealous of his younger brother. There was no love. There was no compassion. There was only envy and anger. And if you do not have gratitude, the only option is envy and anger. It is. Think about it. What are the options? You can't live a neutral life in this deal. You're either grateful or you're angry and envious. Here's what I want to point out to you, is that those who will humble themselves, the younger son came home humbled. He was broken and he admitted it. Those who will humble themselves, God will work in their life and they will be grateful and they will be compassionate and they will be loving. I've never seen somebody who was highly compassionate who wasn't deeply grateful. And I've never seen somebody who was deeply grateful who wasn't compassionate and kind and loving. I've never seen it. Matter of fact, just to point that out, there's a lady here about a year ago. Her name is Corey Salcher. Remember her? She's a lady who took in. We heard about her. She takes in dying kids and gives them a place to die in love and in peace. Many of them are special needs to begin with. They took in one, um, I think she called him T-Bear, if I remember right. And actually, I think they ended up adopting this little guy. Couldn't care for himself in any way at all. And um, she came and told us her story, just a story of compassion and love. And, uh, and we found out that her house had some, she lives in an old house, had some mold issues. And they were caring for these kids and mold. So you as a congregation were so generous, you just took care of it. You, you, I mean, you sent the money, you took care of it, you fixed it. Well, a year later, we, uh, she's been communicating with us all along. And, and oftentimes she sends a video. Well, this is the video she sent this week. Check it out. Hello. So the Apostle Paul said, I remember you always in my prayers. And that is true in my case. Uh, a year ago, this wall had been behind paneling and had mold growing behind it. We live right next to Lake Michigan here in Wisconsin, and we live in an almost 100-year-old house. So it was a problem that was bigger than what my husband and I could solve. We take care of these medically fragile kiddos, and that's what we do full-time. And even though we work really hard, you don't really get paid to do that kind of thing. We had no idea how it was that God was going to solve this problem, but it was going to be a God-sized solution. And Seacoast Grace stepped in, and you helped to take care of us. And this is where we keep Charlie's uh, supplies and also where we kept um, T-Bears. And he, three weeks ago, I had told you about him last year, three weeks ago, he saw Jesus, and he took his breath away. And when he saw those arms of love, how could he stay? So I want you to know when I'm passing on and I'm finding so many reasons to be grateful these days and not just sad for us. Uh, Samuel is perfectly good and whole and well in heaven and we did what we needed to do and we finished well. You have been part of that journey and I just wanted to say thank you again. So if you didn't understand that, T-Bear died three weeks ago after they had cared for him, and the story's amazing. You can, you'll have to go on our archives and see it. And, and yet, here's a woman who has so much compassion. She's doing something I couldn't do in a million years. And yet, what did she end with? Gratitude. Having talked to her in person, and, and been, she is a grateful, truly grateful person. Her life struggles are more than I can even imagine, and certainly couldn't bear them, and yet she is grateful. It is her gratitude combined with her compassion that makes her who she is. Today, if you and I are living an entitled life and there's no gratitude, we don't have much love nor much compassion. But if we start with gratitude, we will be different people. And that's what Thanksgiving is about. More than football, more than food, and more than family. 
It's about being truly grateful to the one who has blessed us so much. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you. You are so good. You're an amazing God. You're good to us. It's out of your character of goodness that you are good to us. And we praise you for who you are as well as for what you've done. And so I ask that this week and these next few days, everywhere we turn, we'd see an opportunity for gratitude an opportunity to express thanks to whomever it is has been good to us and to develop a strong, strong gratitude muscle in our spiritual lives. Lord, help us to be grateful because you truly have been better to us than we deserve. And so, Lord God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.